What do all high-tier luxury brands have in common? How do you take a brand from zero to Gucci? And how much of it is down to the product and how much of it is down to the psychological factors at play? Most brands today try to tap into consumer lifestyles in order to become more relevant, but for some reason luxury brands have had unique traits for generations which aren't immediately obvious. Mohamed El Saman is a friend and professional luxury brand advisor. I invited him on the show to pick his brains on luxury branding and he didn't disappoint. Him and his team work with some of the most exclusive brands across various categories globally and he was kind enough to come on and share his advice and learnings. I'm sure we'll have him on again and if you haven't already, click on that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, check us out on Instagram and keep an eye out for future live interviews. But first, on to the episode. My name is Martin Matichevich. This is Beautiful Minds Business Lounge Series. My guest today is Mohammed El Saman, or Saman for short. Saman, you're a luxury brands advisor. You founded three business design firms in your home country, Egypt, and you've worked with top global brands such as Rolex, Montreux Tudor, Dior, Trussardi, Hublot, Audemars Piguet, Zanotti, and many more. You pride yourself and your firm's abilities on being able to take a brand from zero to luxury in the most agile and competitive way possible. So man, it's a pleasure to have you on Beautiful Minds. As a marketing native myself, it's great to connect and have these amazing conversations with people around the world and learn from them too. Thanks a lot for having me. It means the world. And uh, thank you for this beautiful um, introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's so, a pleasure. I actually like the initiative of the, of the podcast. It's very different and edgy. It's nice. Uh, I wasn't uh, actually uh, a follower until I went on uh, or um, when I met you and I started talking uh, online, I actually went and heard all the podcasts. It's pretty interesting and it's, uh, it's actually very nice and an honor to have you uh, have me here. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. And I think um, this is just, it just shows how amazing technology and how far we've come. I mean, you're in Egypt, I'm in London and yeah. we've connected and we, we've started speaking and we, we understand each other and uh, like, you know, your mission and vision as what you do and, like it's really incredible and I was looking at your portfolio as well and I think you know the, the difference it can make when someone's genuinely passionate about luxury and about making it the best luxury brand possible I think I think that's the key difference and you know I work in marketing but I don't work with luxury brands and so for me it's kind of like I see you guys over there and I'm like what are they doing what are the luxury guys doing you know <laughs> so it's good for me to kind of take these notes and understand and anyone listening of course I hope they're taking notes of this because uh we're going to dive into some uh, tasty stuff. Yeah, great. Let's do this. So, yeah, yeah I mean, going, going to your agency, let's start there. And I know it's not an agency, it's a business design firm, but why would someone maybe mistake it for an agency? And what are the key differences that, that you represent compared to an agency? Uh, not hitting on the terminologies, more of the core of the business. Okay. Um, when you're trying to advertise something and you're trying to brand something, both following under marketing, but when you're trying to advertise, and this is, I'm quoting one of the masters in the world uh, teaching or lect uh, lecturing about uh, the difference between advertising and, and branding, uh, Chris Doe, he, he, he specifically highlights when you're going to create a firm to do an advertisement, this is a key message you're trying to send to your customers, even like, um, this is what you're trying to say. But when it comes to branding and the kind of firm you want to go to, it's how do you, in a very clear and yet also sometimes subtle way, do you make the customer believe the thought? 
So the main difference between advertising and branding is what you're trying to claim that you do and what branding is, is what you genuinely feel inside. So if I tell you I'm, I'm the best cook ever, this is advertising, I'm, this is what I'm claiming. If you try my food and you go, oh my God, that was the best dish I've ever had in my life. This is branding, you believe. He's the best chef I've ever, ha- I've ever tried uh, his food or tried his, his uh, cooking. And that's exactly the, the element of branding. So hitting on your question is the difference is, yes, you can be creative. Yes, you can be positioned as an agency with the creative team and all that. But this mixture of, I want to create this branded uh, mindset and or this subtle uh, feeling my customers would get. I have to go to people who can develop also my business, my product, how it felt and placed in the market. Um, so yeah, that's mainly it. We, we have this business element in, uh, in the design. So it isn't just advertising, we don't do advertising, but we have the, um, if you don't have a core to your business, you can't advertise for something. So if I claim, I'm the, come try our food, we're the best restaurant ever, and then you, you come to my restaurant and you try the food and it's presented in, in a terrible way or it tastes not good, uh, then your brand is weak. So you wanna have a core, you wanna have the solid business in the beginning. So this is a unique way of you repositioning yourself against the others out there and being able to deliver something slightly above what they can. And the, that's, the, that, that's, that's what you're trying to say, right? Yes. Yeah, perfect. We, we, we were very keen to have um, um, my partner in business. He teaches design philosophy and, and I lecture p- uh, students and people uh, on the importance of international brand management and how can you have a luxury brand. So when you have this... Um, when you have the, the core of your business, someone who's so passionate about the, the positioning of the brand and another person who's so passionate about the quality of the design and perception of, of the eyes, um, you're different because you're no more trying to sell that you're so creative. You're trying to sell that we're so um, uh, detailed and precise in every element in your business. So this, this is a bit uh, different. You know, when you're worrying generally about something in your life, I, I need to start hitting the gym, I need to start doing that, something at the back of your head. Most businesses, especially established businesses, this is that part. This is the, the, okay. the part inside every business is that how, how am I different? How am I pre- presented? How am I positioned? And we are that kind of, we are the type of people you go all the way to, so that you're, you're relieved. You're like, I need these people, I need, I need that kitchen. These, these, the, uh, that mindset, I need this entire um, creative or collaborative community to start thinking with me and my brand, helping me be there, uh, be positioned there and, and be placed. Uh, and again, we're, we're, if, if we're highlighting branding in general, so that's how they recognize. But if it's luxury, even branding, uh, most businesses, they're too uh, consumed in the, on the, the running the business rather than placing the business in the market. So uh, we're, we're that uh, really point of relief or we're that ex- extension or arm that helps you um, um, uh, be able to have this problem or, or thought, uh, irritating thought of mind, be, be relieved of it. So that's yeah. around. Amazing. So man, I guess the burning question that most people have is how do you go from zero to Gucci? What are the steps you take? What do you advise? It would be, it would be great to hear some examples as well. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, if, if we're gonna, um, I wouldn't number them, but if we, if we wanna uh, like uh, put them into chambers where you can tackle each topic on its own. First of all, uh, w- 
if I'm creating this brand and I, I, I'm assuming you know the product, you, I'm a leather goods uh, tailor or whatever, I have the product. So first of all, I want to know who am I? Am I um, the most ex expensive? Am I the most exclusive? Am I very limited? Am I very hard to reach? Who am I? And then what are people going to call me? And when it comes to naming, this is a very important topic to, to, to discuss. You can't claim Gucci and your name is very weak or it's, it, there are plenty of other people in the market with that name. A lot of people go like, oh, um, I like, uh, let's say, I don't know, whatever. I, I like blue. So let's say I'm blue elephant. Probably someone thought of that. It isn't so unique. So if you want to do this edgy thing, you should consider coming up with your own name, something that does not, uh, it's not, it's not, so, uh, it's not such, it is okay to have a name that doesn't have a meaning. It's okay to, uh, there are plenty of brands in the world, Xerox, it does not even have a, a reason to behind the name, it doesn't stand for anything, but it's Xerox, everyone knows Xerox, everyone accepts the brand, it's there. So, um, coming up with that name and being very keen to have all the platforms, your Instagram, your Twitter, your social media in general, even your domain, your website, everything is named by you. This is very critical because if you're called um, Xerox for t-shirts dot uh, eg or dot uk and you start growing and you want to claim that you're an expensive brand and you're a luxury brand and you want to start opening stores, the name is very weak and everyone will go like, oh, isn't this Xerox? The, aren't they these the printing guys? What? You get it? People who, who don't research enough the made-up name they, they made. So you can call your brand something and you go like, my next step, I'm probably going to go to Egypt. And I'm going to go there as a luxury brand. And then you call the name and guess what? You just picked a random name that in Egypt means something bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know your market and know how to name your brand when you're entering that market. And the choice of name. So. Uh, yeah. Pick also always the name that has rich uh, uh, constants, something that sounds luxurious. Because uh, uh, general um, uh, soundings can, if you say boo boo baba, you, you expect a baby, you expect something fruitful, something. But if you go like uh, have something like uh, a more refined, easy to hear sound, it's probably a luxury brand. So, first topic is be very precise over who you are. Then make sure that your name is available and it's, um, um, you can easily be distinguished by that name. And then now that you've had, you have, you've had the name, then what's, um, how can I uh, reflect that brand or that concept and the name over the elements I have inside the brand? So let's say, and let's give an example and keep it uh, rolling. So I, I decided to open a restaurant and then I called the restaurant uh, Lunch Black and it's, and it's mine. I own the brand on all the, on all the platforms. And then I go like, and then now I'm going to start discussing what, what happens inside Launch Black. Is, so people walk in lines, do they order? Do they, do they, is it the dining in place? If yes, how can I um, reflect on experience? And actually, this is a side topic, but I really need to speak of. Classes think differently. So if I'm talking C class, people would and I'm still reflecting on a restaurant, people who care about quantity, price driven versus quantity. So I'm talking about B class, then quality is actually pre pretty important. You have to have good quality versus again, still pricing, but still good quality. When you're talking A class, it's presentation. How, are, how, am, I, how am I getting this food presented? 
and there's a, a very decent uh, chef who comes and asks me about my day and presents a detox water with a slice of lemon and, and, and cucumber and mint for, my, for me to have a refreshed uh, tongue before I eat my food. How, how is it working? So I need to focus on that. A lot of people go like, oh, I have this recipe. It's nice. Let's do a business. I don't have a name. I want to come up with a name. I don't have a logo. I just want to do And they don't focus on that. How is my, my customer going to experience my product? How is it going to feel like? So this is what you need to focus on. And that's still before the brand, by the way, for designing your logo and all of that. Now you're good. You, let's say in Launch Black, we thought you go in, you have a welcome drink that's uh, made from our own hand-picked garden uh, or like herbs and, and fruits. And then uh, a chef comes in, asks you about the uh, type of um, vegetables, fruits or um, poultry, poultry that you'd like. And you say randomly, I like fish, I like cucumber, and I like, uh, I don't know, lettuce. And our chef spends uh, 20 minutes to come up with the ultimate combination for all of this and creates the ultimate dish only done for you. We don't have a menu. See, that's a different experience. Something you're like, what? I have to go tell my friends about that. That's, that's, it's different. So let's say this is what I'm claiming. Now I need to reflect this, which is the fourth chamber. How can I reflect on this visually? So is, am I going to be a, just a word logo, simple? Do I, do I need an icon? I, does my icon have to reflect something on me? Because if you decide on the tone of voice, which is the third element, the chef has, has to come all the way to me. So now I know that the chef isn't a branded element. Do you know Nasrit Salt Bay? Like yeah, I, was yeah. Salt. I was actually thinking about yes, him when you... Yeah. He is the brand. His technique is the, the selling point. And that's exactly a reflection of what I'm saying. So, so now I'm going to still have to, I need to invest in that chef and I need to invest in his clothing and I need to invest in his scent, the way he talks, his smile, everything. Because now it's an asset. And, how, and now that I have this, so now I, this is my brand. This is my icon going to be the chef? It's just going to be his name. And now I started developing the brand. So now from I have a restaurant, I have more of a refined luxury restaurant. And I'm, I'm, I'm going into that um, idea. So now we're at this stage where you need to conceptualize the, the, the brand. You've, at this stage, this is uh, where we um, reflect our expertise in design, where we take all these uh, questions and briefs from the client, and we start um, um, having uh, creative sessions to sit and conceptualize the idea. So let's say also for the sake of this um, example, we thought the most creative way is to have a very subtle uh, word logo with no icon. It does not have an icon and it's just that. But the word logo now, instead of um, the U, we put, uh, we switch the U or reflect it. And the reason behind it, and this is what we always tell our clients, a, a successful logo mark or a brand mark or a word logo should not explain your product. It's not a must. I don't need to put a home for a real estate brokerage firm. It's not a must. You can put an apple on a technology um, uh, product. So, and again, if I'm trying to say that it reflects creativity or thinking simple or thinking different, then it does the job. So if my you and the brand that we're doing now, are actually to, to reflect on the brand, it's launched black, but we made the black um, uh, reflected. So instead of reading it from left to right, read from right to left. And people, before people ask me or people understand my brand, if I go up to my client, explain this black is made, or, or the black, the, the, the actual font of the black changes 
depending or where, where is it put. So if I put it in a signage, it's going to be cursive. If I put it on a paper, it's going to be simple and modern. And he tells me, why are we doing this? Shouldn't our brand be recognized? And I tell him, no. The brand tone says that I'm, I'm a flexible brand. It says I customize my menu for you. So even the logo of us is customized depending on you. So now you go, oh, now it has a, it has a story. So this, is how, this is how things uh, should go. This is how you should think. And that's, that's, this is the whole beauty, this is the whole beauty, beautiful part about, about um, understanding the process, reflecting on the, the, the concept you want to sell. So now you're at this stage, you're like, mm, it's an interesting concept. Let's go for this. I need to see options. Always feel free to have your thoughts presented as a, um, a branding firm or as the client. If you have a thought, share it. It's okay. Sometimes you hear the most funny comments from clients. But this is the whole idea of it. The, guy, the owner is the, the engine, the true believer of the product. And you are uh, the, the body. You're, the, you're, you're uh, his, his, the tools that he can use to, to have this dream come true. So you, you want to express your thoughts. And the more you believe in this idea that changing your logo is the best fit for that brand, the more that the client's going to believe that because they see the passion you have for, for the thought, for the concept. He sees someone believing in a, in a reflection of that in a logo or an icon that reflects his, his own thoughts. He thought, I want to do this customized experience. And you reflected that. So it works well. So yeah, now you're at this stage. And then you start, um, after having the actual mark, you start saying, how can I reflect this in branded elements? All the branded elements are very known. We can discuss them through questions and throughout the talk. But uh, let's say color is one of them. So for this example, we won't have a color, which is going to be an achromatic or monochromatic brand that doesn't have a color. So just grayscale, let's say, because every dish comes with, comes with its colors. So you're, you're, you're fond of purple. You get grapes and you get this uh, beautiful mixture of purple color. So this brand, we're not going to have a color for it. It's just achromatic, like black, white, and gray, and that's it. And we're going to let the colors speak through our dishes. See, it works. Um, and you keep on adding to that. What's the elements? What's the design product? Am I going to pay so much attention over my knife? I'm going to have the most unique knife that people will always know me through that knife. And you keep adding on. Once you have that, you start creating your hype. How can I make people want to try this? So this is on a very brief scale that the, uh, I'm trying to sum six months of work and, and, and a simple reply, but what I'm saying is you come up to make them short as a list for people to also remember that. So you, you want to, um, first of all, come up with, have the product before, just come, if you do have the product, you're good. If you want to come up with the product, do your research. But once you have the product, you, you want to know how is my product different and then, uh, or how am I going to be presenting my product? Then first of all, the name, why am I naming myself? What's the tone of voice? How am I speaking? What am I expressing? How, is it, how am I reflecting on my brand? And how is my brand presented and the look of it? And then after it's done and it's completed, how can I reflect that over my elements, my colors, my, my, my look, my, my packaging, my everything, my, my, my throughout brand experience, as we call it, the entire experience of the brand. Yeah, I think when you talked about hype, the first thing that came to my mind was fear of missing out, right? That, yeah. that famous abbreviation, FOMO. And I'm just thinking to myself, like the amount of times that I've been to Turkey in Yalikovac where Nusrat has one of his branches and I thought, oh, I haven't been to his branch and I keep saying I'm going to go. And then, okay, that, that's fear of missing out. That's like, my God, I've missed out on experience. And I go on Instagram the next day, I go on the geotag and I see like, oh, wow, like so many 
amazing good looking girls and people dancing having a good time and that that i think social media and other touch points enable you to heighten that hype doesn't it yes of course um using the hype as a science on its own creating the hype um and how and as you said what is the um what's the general intention behind that hype are you do you have a fear of missing out or is it a social reflection a lot as we started branding is how you feel about the brand how you genuinely feel not what the brand claims because this is advertising the hype is do you want your hype to reflect on that branding or do you want it to escalate that feeling of branding so let's say bentley and i'm, I'm reflecting for um at one of the actually if not the main brand that caught me or caught my eyes into luxury brand management and yes yeah, the story isn't it luxury branding and it's uh, to, to me they're positioned in a marvelous way and in in my um in my um humble opinion bentley don't need to come up with limited edition cars they're bentley they don't need that but they do because they're bentley and that's exactly the whole idea of it so there is the hype do you know they did that one out of eight edition cars they're only eight in the world they, they're already one of if not from the top three or five luxury brands when it comes to um cars or the cars uh, the car industry um or the automobile industry my point is they don't need to come up with a limited edition brand but this is reassurance they're stating where that's like genius we we are capable of coming up with collectible masterpieces and this is another way to generate this feeling of um a hype that's not based on missing out at this uh, at this level now it's longing one day i'll i'll spend my youth i'll spend my savings and i'll, I'll spend all my time to one day drive this car this car and this is a, gen, a, gen, a genuine feeling that you you're 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 getting um uh motive and i wouldn't call motive you're getting this um blood rusher this, this this feeling of if one day i'm about to leave my home or my house and i'm going to ride my car to go buy a bentley this is this is a theater this is not a, a normal day this is a, that it's a different feeling this is a reflection of the hype they created uh, a brand they positioned it as a luxury brand they and by the way this is one of the things people need to focus on when you when you're claiming luxury you have to maintain that maintenance is important and for them to be year after year excelling in their design quality their finishing quality the details to every detail uh, the details in every uh, element in their car and they create more stories that are more hypes over how exclusive and limited and extraordinary extraordinarily luxurious the brand is um, and that's that this is this is a different way of hype this this is creating a feel of one day i'm going to belong to this community one day i'm going to be at the bentley service center waiting for my car to get fixed or, or get its um, ser- uh, service um, and hypes keep on, keep on uh, keeps on uh, that or the industry keep on changing the way people create the hype the feeling of oh you have an older cell phone now you need the new one oh you don't have the new one and you feel out of out of trend and everyone's using it oh you can't use the new slow motion uh, this is a new feature you're going to have to do that so they create this feeling of you need to do that and it's not always uh, based on fearing of be, uh, missing out just, what if i'm missing out what if what if i don't look uh, good when i'm not doing it what if i look not as nice as people would expect what if i don't look professional what if I, it's that constant 
buyer behavior and they know exactly how to, to manipulate that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting point. I think the psychology behind it is a bit scary as well because it just shows they know you too well now, right? And um, yeah, I don't know if that's because of data, if that's because of experience or they're just thinking about themselves and how to apply that to others, but it's basic psychology. Of buyer behavior, man. It's the yeah. study of buyer behavior. They know how you think. And, and, and we've got to be, we've got, actually, we've got to give them credit. And I'm not talking about Benz, I'm talking about all luxury brands. If they are going an extra mile to create this, and you saw the process you go through to create this luxury experience, you're going to have to um, appreciate that they actually go that extra mile to even study your behavior and be able to create this product that really would satisfy a certain need in you. So that's, and it's a, it's a double-edged sword, you know, it's, it's nice, but yeah, it's a bit scary as you say. Uh, so yeah. talking about Bentley, I want to hear that story again, because I think it's an important story to understand where you come from and why you do what you do. Bentley was, as, as far as I remember, it was that beginning of me understanding the difference between a brand and a luxury brand. It was the first time I saw the uh, car and uh, it was driving in front of me. And I thought, wow, what is this? How is this possible? And it was different in its design. It was different in its, even the paint uh, job done on, on it. The color was, uh, I remember it was the navy blue and the metallic tone. It was unbelievable. And I looked at my father and I told him, uh, we're going to have to buy this one. And he said, we cannot afford this one. I said, but we're going to have to buy it. But why can't we afford it? How much is it? And he said, uh, do you like it that much? And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to check it. I went all the way to, to, to the, their, their agents and uh, we went there and I, I looked at the car and I couldn't believe myself. I was like, what, what do I do to get this car? Because, you know, I'm considering this car. And I was very young and the guy looked at me and he said, uh, and I think it was around 200 or 320 or 230,000 uh, trillion pounds. And I looked at my dad and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Why? How? And I looked at that guy and he said, uh, the handcrafted elements, this exclusive... Uh, leather and that uh, mahogany uh, i think no i think it was radica wood so he's i can't remember the, the actual terminology but, uh, but I, was, I was i was in shock and i looked at my dad and i'm like this is unbelievable one day i need to buy this guy i remember i was very young and as i grew up i came to realize because because when you're young you don't you don't separate between luxury and not you, you separate by do i like it or not are the cool kids doing it or not Am I more cool with my friends that way or not? Am I showing off my new Converse? Am I looking cool in my new whatever shirt? So it's that. But as you start, start appreciating the leather, the details, the taste, the presentation and everything, you're more um, intrigued. And Bentley was the tip of the, or the tip of the iceberg. It was the tip that blew my mind. And I thought, uh, why, how? And as I grew up and I was, uh, studying entrepreneurship in uh, back at uh, college and um, one of the cases I was uh, do, doing my research on was then because I, I was as I grew up I was very intrigued to, to know why how and I started seeing their process the amount of tests they do over their, their vehicles how they how they produce them and everything and I just couldn't stop and as I started uh, uh, helping businesses uh, in Egypt and globally um, I started paying attention to the people who want to claim luxury are the ones who are willing to do the extra mile in every detail when it comes to their brands. They're willing to invest in their look, they're willing to invest in their product, and that's about it. 
and with time I started I started seeing we're trying to follow the Bentley model not the specifically Bentley model the luxury brand model uh, in every detail you pay attention to yeah I think with cars I have a strong appreciation for but watches I mean I've never worn a watch um, as in regularly and I understand the appeal that some watches are rare they're collector items but What's the general fear of missing out? What's the general hype there? Because I know the technology doesn't exactly, like the incremental improvement isn't that great compared to like a hundred years ago. So what's actually, the appeal Actually, this is one of, actually this is one of and the main difference between a luxury watch and a normal watch. First of all, you don't compare uh, just materials because uh, a, a gram of gold globally is known for its price. But a gram of gold at Cartier, for example, it's, it's a whole other level. Okay. It's not just gold, it's the brand. So it, it comes with that. So you have the, the dial, how is it, the, the actual watch face, you have the material of the watch, and then the most intricate details are the ones in the watch. So when you're talking about watch houses, you're talking about Rolex, you're talking about Audemars Piguet, you're talking about Hublot, or whatever is the brand, um, you're talking about the amount of time spent on the watch as you're talking with cars. So if, if we're going to talk on a general note, all, all cars take you from point A to point B. Agreed. All watches tell time. Agreed. But when you have a watch as confident, confident as Patek Philippe, a brand that state, stated, they stated, this is the, not a watch that you buy. It's a watch that people inherit. This is how confident they are that the watch will not only be worn, it's going to be given to your son, your son is going to be giving it to your grandson, and it goes on. Because they know that their watches have been running and been inherited for at least 200 years and, and above. Or I think, I think they started in the 1800s time. And so, but this confidence, this level of confidence, the confidence is unbelievable. And that's why their price tag is extremely high. And then it comes again with the detail and the precision. You're, buy, you're not buying a watch, you're buying a story, you're buying a social um, uh, statement, and then you're, buy, you're buying something that reflects um, your taste. So, for example, you go up to Rolex, and they have plenty of collection. You can actually go on their site and pick that strap with this face and that dial, and you, you, can, just, you can mix and match. But you don't sit with a Rolex in a, in a meeting or in front of anyone and you expect them to see the watch and think anything other than that guy is uh, precise. They like spending their time over, they, 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 well, they well spend their money on themselves. They buy something that's nice of them. And that's actually personal branding, by the way. If you go up to a meeting, you're not prepared and you're not uh, taking care of that uh, look, presentation, how you talk, how, if you're not taking care of all of that, you're still, you're giving, as we claim, branding is how people think of you as a brand. So if, if you make the person in front of you think of you less than anything that you wanna, want them to feel, then you're missing that point. So when it comes to watches, um, for the collectible ones, for the ones that you can, uh, that, that, that precision of details and the amount of diamonds inside them, the amount of um, uh, gems inside them, the amount of rubies inside them, they, these um, brands are only, and actually they wouldn't stop because they know that the, there's a need in the market of exclusivity that very, intricately detailed high-end watch has been uh, is, is, is a need people, people need that um, but why the hype 
it's a social statement. It's a reflection of ca character. And, and I'm talking luxury brands, I'm not talking general brands. There are plenty of actually, I wouldn't call them knockoffs, but there are plenty. Actually, this is the trend globally now. Uh, lower end brands that are doing similar bodies and similar movements. And actually, because this is very interesting. Watches have um, plenty of intricate details and in their movements inside the watch that it is known as a show-off to have skeleton watches. This is a show-off. When a brand wants to show that my movement is, is, a, is a masterpiece, you'd find the, the dial and the watch, it's, it's, uh, it's transparent. They tell you, if you look at the details, I can actually, and you can Google it, you can find skeleton watches are much more expensive than the, the ones with, with a face where you can just simply see a color. If it's transparent, it's a whole other level. And this is a way that even the master brands in the world, they show off, and but it goes way back. They, 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 they want to show that my deta the detail I pay in, in, in every, the, the attention I pay in every detail in my watches are, are, is a masterpiece. It's just like art, the, the art you collect. That's the beauty of it. And then you would never find a watch like this sent you in a, in a box that is um, made of cheap, cheap paper. You find a signature, you find a guaranteed card, you find a letter of authenticity, you find the story behind it. You might even find the name of the, of the master watchmaker who actually uh, 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 assembled your watch. This is attention to details. This is branding. So that feeling when you open that box as if you just own the world having this watch, this is the beauty of it. Um, and if you want to reflect this on a very um, actually mass scale, if I take you right now and I tell you let's go all the way to Harvard's or just go to some uh, place and I tell you let's go try this uh, brand of perfume. And you're like, I actually like it. I want to I wanna have a try. And the salesman tells you, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have a tester, you're gonna to have to buy it. And he said, man, I'd like to try it. I wouldn't buy a perfume for 60 pounds without trying it. And the guy opens the scene right in front of you and gives you the perfume, uh, a couple of sprays and you smell it and go, hmm, I love that brand. You're, you're probably gonna want another pack. You're gonna tell the guy, can I have the one closed? Cause I'd rather have, if I'm spending that money, I wanna have mine sealed. This is buyer behavior and this, and if, as long as you, as a, as a person, understand that this is really the human nature of, of, of how you perceive things, uh, you're going to realize, yes, then, then the brand that spends months assembling its watches, pays attention in every detail, make sure that the watch is nearly unbreakable, or, and I'm talking quality of glass, I'm talking it lives, then they deserve to have this uh, very niche um, market segment, segmentation because this is the amount of details they spend. So yeah, so when it comes to watches, this is one of the beautiful games and I actually am a, a huge uh, uh, fan and a follower of, uh, of, the brand, uh, of the brand trends when it comes to watches and cars. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I mean, thanks for telling me that because I didn't know half of it. And now that you're saying it and I'm thinking of more examples and other incidents where I've noticed things in Harrods being different to another shopping center and I've thought, hmm, that's why it's Harrods, you know? And when you put the pieces together, it starts to make sense and you start to spot patterns across other categories and industries, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's amazing. So moving on, I want to ask you something about the word luxury because I know it comes from the Latin word uh, luxus or luxus, not how you pronounce it, and it means excess, right? But I'm not sure if that 
luxury represents excess nowadays because you often hear the narrative that less is more. So I'm interested to know what luxury means to you and how you regard that narrative that less is more. Again, when it comes to luxury, it's uh, uh, um, actually if you're going to go to the history of the, the actual word, because excess meant you're wealthy yeah. and it's excess of money, food, uh, um, shelter. Uh, but now luxury, uh, you, you try and um, let's say we're just going to give a, an example. You have two millionaires. You can have um, the minimalist. You can have the show off. So luxury now is a reflection of how you, you can have uh, someone wearing a very simple basic T-shirt, but this T-shirt costs a thousand pounds, and you can have another person wearing a brand that has a pattern and would have it all over his clothes, and he's showing off. I can buy the hat. I can buy the shirt. So now luxury is how um and actually this is great because the difference in in buyer behaviors that the more you can actually penetrate brands if you want to talk to the minimalist you can have the most minimum simple to the point piece of art or this place or this hotel whatever and if you want that extravagant uh, all over the place a guy you'd still be able to talk to uh, uh, reach out to them so in this, uh, uh, like uh, reflecting on that, now luxury is, on, by term, luxury is anything that you can, um, you'd want to get, even though living without it is okay. So if you don't upgrade your phone, you can still live. So buying a new one is a luxury. But when you want to claim luxury, you'd have a, a new watch, let's say. I, I, wanna, I, I don't need to hit on a certain brand, but a new watch. And if, you only spend ten thousand pounds extra because you want to take off the dial so you can see the beauty beauty of the movement of the gears inside um, the watch. Uh, this is luxury and hitting and being a brand that recognized that you can reach to that level and claim that level of intricate uh, attention to the, uh, or uh, intricate uh, detailing. Um, that's luxury, and at least that's what I what I mean by luxury. Reflecting on that, on the restaurant case, making sure that your brand does not have a color, and paying attention to that. Your your list of um, items at, at the kitchen has grapes because you need to reflect or hit on the purple color when you're presenting a, a plate because the guy ticked in his questionnaire with the chef uh, that they uh, are fond of purple. Uh, this is the, the the type of luxury I, I enjoy. I enjoy having or discussing with my clients. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that just shows that it's not about the product and it's not about the brand. It's about the product and the brand together. They need to coexist in the luxury level, and that's where you separate the higher tier um, luxury brands from the you know normal luxury or everyday luxury, right? Because there's also that difference too. Um, Actually, I want to uh, state something, but I'm not sure. Uh, on a side note, I, are we, can we give examples of actual experimental cases that people didn't understand uh, how luxury was actually different uh, in their advertisement or positioning? Yeah, yeah we're good? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of the most shocking uh, experiments that was done um, was Payless. They did... Um, um, more of a social experiment, they went and um, created a store called Palisi, which is a knockoff of Payless, another brand of Payless. But they completely 
changed the brand. They completely, completely changed the design, the logo, everything. And they put the same exact shoes that are there for 20 pounds, 30 pounds. They listed it for 600 and 800 pounds. The same exact shoe. They only changed the brand. Only the brand, instead of Payless, it's Palisi. And they got top influencer, uh, influencer um, bloggers and, and, and fashion uh, influencers, sorry. And they, went to, they, went to, uh, they invited them to the store and they asked them if they were paying. And they actually, they had a lot of people pay their brands. And when they interviewed them, they said, this is one of the quality. Look at the details, look at the attention, look at everything. And that was such a culture shock, uh, actually a social shock, because people, uh, they, were, they told them after, they were, when they were about to uh, buy the, uh, the shoes or the bags or whatever, they told them, by the way, these are, these are, these are 20 and 30 pounds shoes. And they were shocked. And this shows that the presentation differs. The presentation is, is, is an experience of its, of its own and it's an asset to your brand. So investing in that extra um, detail in your, your business card, that extra detail at the, the office design of the place you're in, the type of screen you're show, reflecting your designs to your clients to, that every, every single detail. Am I buying a perfume only specifically for work because it's known for the uh, bergamot or that, that this, this kind of note that uh, welcomes people to, for open call? Am I that detailed in my work? If yes, then you're, yes, you're, position, you're spending that research and you deserve that uh, positioning. So yeah, when it comes to luxury, it's, uh, it's about how you, how you reflect that in your details, how you show that in, uh, on your brand. Yeah, and I was also thinking of another example of, for example, when you, when you go to Qatar or Fly Emirates, right, these are kind of the luxury airlines, but then you think, okay, well, there's clearly a huge step above that when you go private, right, go on a private jet, and it's like, that's kind of the height of it. And so you even have these, you know, two or three tiers within the luxury group and uh it just like you just realize that there's actually no no end to it like there's actually no ceiling you think that's the ceiling but then there's something even crazy or even more expensive or luxurious as long as you know that as someone who's about to do their brand or someone who's designing for other brands because uh it's important to know this as someone in the creative industry or as someone who's about to penetrate the creative industry or someone who's about to be a brand in the creative industry it's very, as long as you know, you know this, you know that there are plenty of segments, there are plenty of, even in the luxury niche market, there are plenty of uh, fish and, uh, to compete with, there are plenty of sharks to compete with, there are plenty of whales to compete with, and that keeps on getting, it doesn't stop. And you, as long as you know that, you can easily start studying that, researching and reading about that, and starting to have your own tone when you're uh, about to join these uh, this, um, segment so if i'm going to position myself as the most luxurious brand to ever create a lighter that's it just the basic lighter the amount of details the name the brand the torch color even the color what kind of gas do you put inside it um how, how does it feel how does the grip feel and who is the first person you're gonna see holding it because this is the height is it going to be a president of a country? Is it going to be the most expensive, man, uh, most, um, the richest man in the world? Who, who's it going to be? This is a study of its own. Who's that first person you're going to see that watch uh, that uh, lighter with? So yeah, it's, it's all about that. As long as you know this, you know, I need to do the research and I need to reflect that on my brand. Yeah, a lot of it's data driven, isn't it? So talking about those different niches, I was looking at your portfolio and the brands that you do work for. 
I noticed a lot of Swiss watchmakers, and I guess the first question that came to mind was, do nationalities or specific cultures own price points in certain categories? So when you think of Italian sports cars, you think of Ferrari, Lamborghini, which also, by coincidence, tend to be the most expensive out there, probably. And then back to the Swiss watches again, only the most expensive brands come to mind, like Rolex, Hublot. So what's your take on a price point being owned or strongly associated with a nationality or culture? It comes up with the expertise of the entire, entire country. So German cars are known for certain uh, elements and aspects. Italian designers are known for certain elements or aspects. Uh, British car manufacturers are also known for that. And when, we, when I told you known for that, you nodded your head. So you have your own perception of that. So you, that this is branding. This is what you believe. So if I tell you a brand that's about luxury and comfort, and you tell me, for example, um, Benz, this is what you perceive the brand, or this is how you see the brand. So they were successful in the branding. So if I, if, if I tell you just a brand, very royal, and um, it's always associated with royalty in, in the UK. If you tell me, for example, Jaguar, and I, I, and I nod to that, then it's common. So you both agree to it. This is successful branding, a successful advertising, adver, advertisement to sell the branding or to convince you with their branding. If you have a solid brand, and to reflect, very quickly on that. If we, at Launch Black restaurant that we yeah. gave as an example, if we agree to everything and now we have the restaurant, if I do now an advertisement and I tell you, visit our store to have the most unique dish you've ever had in your entire life. Is, am, I trying, am I really trying to sell something that I genuinely believe in and I've been following throughout the way? Yes, this is what I've been trying to do. So my advertisement is true. You're gonna believe it because this is what I've been doing throughout the entire process. And this is exactly, in my opinion, the success stories behind all of that. Swiss um, brands, when it comes to watches, they've been uh, unbelievably great. The, 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 by the way, the amount of patents, amount of um, uh, papers sent to um, uh, have the copyright to, or royalty for, for certain watch movements that are, are sent from, from um, uh, Swiss manufacturers are unbelievable. They're not, gonna stop they know they're different they know they pay so much attention to that but does that mean that there are no there, there are not there are no japanese brands that are actually excelling in, in watches there are plenty that's but but actually my point is um when you generally uh, we're gonna call it stereotype but when you generalize a certain production of uh, a car or a watch or an airplane or whatever to a certain country that's years of brand positioning that's years of you believing that because you went up to your friend you don't even know the brand and you go like uh, so what's uh boo boo wawa that you're wearing you seem very confident about your watch and you've been showing it off what, what about it and he tells you bro it's, it's switch made uh it's switch made and you go like uh, uh, so that makes it good and that's your the first time you because he, he yeah 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 showed so much confidence so we go like but i don't know the brand and he goes like uh, but your friend goes like but it's swiss made and you go like oh okay so now so in a subtle way you you start seeing it and that keeps on going and that's actually very true in egypt a lot of car brands are now penetrating the market and are are, are being launched uh, in egypt and you go like so what's that brand they go like oh, this, this brand is uh, from that country but their technology and their uh, their interface are made in a country and they mention a name that are good at it. So you go like, this country is that, but their engine 
and their air conditioner are Japanese. And you know, Japanese and air conditioners. I go, uh, okay, so apparently it is that way because this is the norm or this is how everyone's been per perceiving it. So, and, and there are plenty of brands like that, even in Egypt, they go like, MG, I don't know, do you know Morris Gorge? I think, or Gorges, yeah. yeah. And now they had a huge launch of their new car in Egypt. And people were like, and this is, like, so this is a British, British brand. So everyone's like, okay, perfect. But it's been manuf it's not manufactured in this other country, but with a British design. And you go like, okay, then it's a great brand. See, so this is uh, actually, I wouldn't call it manipulation, but this is actually tackling um, norms, uh, agreed uh, on statements or positioning for brands with, with years of, of, of um, positioning, because there's a huge difference between a, a launching brand and a steady brand. And this is even in pricing, by the way, it's completely different. Rebranding BMW, which, which was very recent, uh, the amount of money spent on it, the amount of research spent on it, the amount of time it takes, it's, it's huge. Um, and, the, and that always reflects, it, it always reflects on the amount of uh, risk you're putting with changing the, the brand. Because let's say you're a, a Gucci and you're about to change your logo or you're about to change your um, icon. Do you know the amount of risk you're taking if your new icon does not uh, look nice on the print? Your brand is the print. Your brand is the, the bag that has the pattern. So if you change it and people don't accept that, it's huge. So the amount of risk related to stuff like that is huge. And that, that's exactly why. Now, Swiss watches are known for that. They cannot risk having a, a drawback. They cannot risk having a problem with their watches. So they're in constant development to keep that legacy. And this is, this is a whole other um, responsibility in, in, in positioning. So when it comes to um, um, a certain pricing, when it comes to all that, they're, they're pricing based on legacy. They're pricing based on positioning, based on stories you believe in. If I tell you you're getting a, a, a Jaguar, you know you're getting quality. I don't need to advertise it for you. You deep down know it. It's, it's a fact. It's deep, you, you, I don't need to sit and say, but bro, it's a Jaguar. You know it. And that's, so the price point immediately is related to that. And then there are people who, who would still try to always do something even crazier. So you'd have an, a new Chinese manufacturer of high-end luxury brands trying to set a new benchmark to pricing. And benchmarking is, the, is an entire science. If I have a Rolex for 10,000 pounds, then is the new Hublot more, 1,000 pounds more, 1,000 pounds less? And this is pricing. And you, it also always depends on how you want to position your brand. Um, and I think if you're deciding to do, do a new, new brand in Egypt and uh, start penetrating Italy now as a designer, I think you should always keep in mind that there are plenty of Italian designers there who are known for their fashion. They're known for their leather quality. And you, to, you're, you're a new fish in a, in, a, in a sea full of sharks and you need to know how you're going to position yourself there. So understanding the price points and accepting it is, um, is a, fact, a fact in business, a fact you have to uh, live by. Uh, and yes, price always has to be related somehow to quality, even though presentation, as we said, for class A is very important, but there has to be quality. You'd never find a car selling for a price tag of 250, 300, 250, even a million pounds. And then you go try to open the door knob and you find it made of uh, plastic. It doesn't work that way.
it's very, the, we know that the amount of details you need to pay attention to when you're doing that occur with that price uh, tag. Um, so yeah. yeah, it makes sense. And I think before we move on to price points, because I do have a really big question on that came in for one of the followers on Instagram. I think you mentioned a key point about Egypt trying to compete with bigger, bigger sharks or bigger fish. So I travel a lot and I've been to Egypt, I've been to Sharm el Sheikh and it's beautiful. But the prices, they're crazy low, at least for me from the UK. And I think globally, they're known for having amazing quality at a very low price. So where, where does that kind of, in terms of luxury tourism and luxury travel, where, where do you, what's your opinion on that? Um, for any uh, market to be open for uh, a new market uh, cake, they call it a, uh, yeah, a market cake. So let's say, Men don't shave their beards. Now they're going to shave their beards. This is a new market cake for all the razors, trimmers, everything related to beards. So they created this market cake for, let's say, a beverage. So there's going to be a one-pound beverage, two-pound beverage, three-pound beverage, a water bottle or a beverage that's for 20 pounds, then a 50 pounds, and there's an edible gold inside the water beverage for a 1,000 pounds. So you get, for, for this to work, you're going to have to have the full range. Egypt, and to me, is strategically and economically is beautiful because it has all the ranges. You can spend a week in uh, Sharm el Sheikh, and um, actually, as you said, I consider it very cheap. And you can go in an hotel, let's say Rixus, and you can go there and you can spend thousands of pounds there and still enjoy this and that. When it comes to food, when it comes to outings, when it comes to any product, either mass product or luxury product, when it comes to jewelry, we have. Actually, actually, I wouldn't compare them, but we have uh, brilliant jewelry designs. I don't, know, I don't know if you know Bobby White as a British guru in my mind when it comes to jewelry design. Uh, Bobby White is unbelievable. He does his own customized jewelry pieces with plenty of diamonds, keychains. Uh, he wanted to do his uh, Apple Watch with the uh, Colombian uh, black on black, and he's brilliant. We have one of my clients is one of the top jewelry designers in Egypt, I wouldn't call them for competing because they have different markets, but she is the Egyptian Bobby White, Salma Lutfi, she's, that's her name, and she's not known in Egypt for being that artist. You would go or take your fiancé or your, your um, uh, sister, your brother, you want to go to customize their own story in a chain or in a, in a piece of in a, a necklace or a pendant or a ring, they go with her and you, uh, you sit in her office, she does this nice interview, she talks to you about what you like, what kind of animals you're into, what kinds of places you like going, and she customizes an, a piece only done for you. And it's all gold with diamonds and precious stones and everything. And, and in my mind, yeah, you see this, this is probably different price tags, and it always is related to the economy, to the, um, uh, to how much are the, the grams of gold in Egypt and maybe in, in the UK, is it compared with each other, is it the same or not? Um, but my point is, um, you'll find her as the luxury personalized designer, right? And there are plenty of people on lower classes. There are plenty. You're going to find a B class designer. You're going to find a C class designer. This is a very beautiful thing I find in, in the economy of, of businesses. So you have the, the most luxurious hotel ever. You're going to have that. It's nice, but it's not the most luxurious. And you're going to have it's nice. It's okay. It's fine. It's terrible, but... You can still be there and, and, and so on. And, and, and this is how it works in tourism in Egypt. You can go to places where um, you, you, 
I, I, I can actually promise you, you can go to certain beaches in Egypt and you go like, I have, I've never seen a country in the world with this, this clear water and the beautiful, uh, play, uh, beautiful scenery. And you can go to other places and go, how is this even, how is this, uh, the entire day I'm spending only three pounds, what the hell? And, and you'd still be enjoying, but this is the beauty of it. And this is actually why I decided to stay because I've, I've traveled a lot. And I love being able to live uh, in a luxury, luxurious way if I want. And I like being, because modesty and humbleness still wakes you and makes you a better person because you have to live with people, talk with them and, 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 uh, and uh, socialize. And this is, uh, this is actually, you said it, you've been there, you've tried it. You'd let me know how it was. I think the best way to describe it is to use an analogy that you mentioned to me the last time we spoke, which was, use the purple cow analogy and for me i saw the purple cow and uh, you can talk later on about what the purple cow is but I, I went there and i thought well yeah i've never seen this before because like i stepped out the hotel it was just a very humble resort i don't know maybe four star or something and it was a package deal for my family i was very young and there was like a pier you walk in and i love i love swimming i'm a scuba diver and i, I love the you know I'm a great believer in that we need to protect the ocean and look after the reefs. And we even had the coral gardeners on because I was really, I really wanted to speak to them. And you step out and then you kind of like just jump in the sea or you swim in, whatever, you climb down the steps. And then you're just surrounded by corals. And I was like, how is the hotel there? And how is like this here? Like it's so, I don't know, it was just kind of like, I was in shock. And even now today, I've traveled so many places and I've been to so many sanctuaries and the nature still that that lives in the back of my mind and for me I just couldn't believe what I got for the price that you know at the time my dad paid and I just thought well that is pretty amazing and that's and I get sometimes you're gonna have to do this even as a luxury brand so, uh, if you bought a, a lower price range of a Gucci wallet but it comes in this black very prestigious box and this ribbon and it's tie and the tie and it's put in this very soft uh, fiber or like textile uh, cloth and and you open the bag and the bag is huge and it's made of really nice paper material they probably lost when they sold me this specific wallet because the amount of details they spent is is, is a lot but the amount of uh, materials they used are, are a lot and sometimes you don't have to do that there when you're doing business, you, you need to know um, there, there's a certain expectation ladder. There's a certain quality you need to keep. Um, and sometimes, as you just said it, you have, you've had the hotel experience. You saw the coral reefs and you thought, how can this experience cost that? And this is actually great. This is a, a, this is a very nice example of customer satisfaction where you were... Actually, you're saying this, is, this was... Uh, when you're young and that's actually even better that it was too good that you you still remember that it still was affecting you and it's a thought at the back of your head yeah. um, this is the ultimate customer satisfaction this is something businesses should actually be spending their time trying to have stories like this because uh, stories like that are the engine for a lot of people for the people who actually spend so much time dreaming about that believing in that and spending their time and effort in that yeah, just now lockdown, like, you know, you're spending more time with family and we were talking about that holiday the other day and uh, we were thinking, yeah, we need to go back one day. And uh, uh, so It would be an honor and uh, I'd be very happy to have you as a guest uh, when you come here. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. 
I um I noticed that you said something about how you can still be luxury and still dominate a lower price point. And I think that's something which you don't see very often. It's a hard science to get right because I know when I, when I audit uh, brands, I look at price and I look at, you know, revenue structures and I think, okay, well, if they're not able, if they're just about able to cover fixed and variable costs, you know, and, you kind of have to sell to the masses. And once, and once you start selling to the masses, you kind of lose that exclusivity. And then the luxury feeling starts to dwindle, if you like. So what's that? Is, is there like a fine line that I'm not seeing perhaps? Or is it, is it something it's that's a, man-made that's not? Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very tricky line. It's, it, yeah. There are plenty of brands with it, even with separate branding. So let's say you get Versace and Versus or Brands that have lower uh, categories or uh, more of a, a, a cheaper alter alternative for their, their products, uh, it's very tricky. Uh, and uh, when we're doing this with clients, we usually recommend separate branding, mass branding, uh, separate, complete, differently branded uh, brand that has its own tone of voice. It's uh, um, just to, to minimize the risk. If you are going to for car, car wash, because you go there and have the most delicious cup of coffee and have this uh, waiting area with a lazy boy and you're sitting and you're enjoying the, the large screen and you want to give the same example, that same experience to someone else with a cheaper price, giving the same kind of quality, you're, 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 you're somehow killing yourself. You're, you're killing your own concept. You can do some, uh, another um, case where there's a faster, more secure uh, car wash that is uh, in a faster pace and make it much more cheaper um, and dominate the market, the lower, let's say B class market with that uh, model. Yes, you can do that. But if you want to do both, in, in, in my very humble opinion with cases we've always seen, or plenty of cases I've actually studied and seen, uh, it's a very tricky line. It's extremely yeah. tricky. Brands, uh, and by the way, because it's, even in brands, uh, your loyalty differs. Would you, would you do uh, Adidas or Adidas or Nike? or nikes which which who's you what would you wear so i was having this conversation i don't know if you like football but we were talking the other day about how adidas make the best football kits and nike they're just too simple and they when they take a risk they just get it wrong completely so to me it has to be adidas okay so that's you and and your reasoning was that but when nike collaborated with off-whites and did six thousand pounds shoes and they went out of stock and in a, probably a day, uh, that's, that's not because people thought uh, they're functional or not. They thought this is limited edition, we're gonna have to acquire that. And that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Um, you, would, you can find, and again, there's always subtle ways to claim lower price tags where they have the Adidas and then they have the originals and then they have the outlet for both. And then you can go to the outlet and they say that it's the factory price and they keep on doing that. Uh, and this is the model of saying that yes, you, you, we're doing everything so you can you can afford this. We're gonna do we're gonna do everything until you're a loyal customer that you, you're gonna have to buy it. And then for the people who have the luxury of spending a couple of dollars more, here's a easy, a limited edition shoe that you're gonna have to search throughout the entire planet to try to have a, an original pair. And this is the the beauty of it. I'm a brand. You buy you don't you can't sleep you can sleep with another uh, sleep 
well off with, uh, with wearing another brand other than uh, Adidas. Um, but you wear it for the um, how to for a statement. Uh, we have a huge break dancing scene in Egypt, by the way. Um, Red Bull um, uh, have uh, I think it's called Red Bull One. They have competitions, and the, the scene is huge. And Adidas originals are mainly and always sponsors of stuff like that because it's a it's a it's a reflection of an urban urban culture. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's always trying to maintain. Okay, look. When it comes to pricing, you're gonna have to um, do your research well. Stick to the original positioning you want to do, and if it does not fit, it's either you raise the awareness or you find alternative channels like the outlets. But you don't say, okay, you know what? I was um, claiming my shoes for a hundred pounds. I, we're gonna think we're gonna go for forty. You're basically telling people you had a huge um, profit range and you're just selling um, shoes much more expensive than the actual actual value. So it actually can have a negative uh, uh, reply back to to your sales and your uh, uh, reputation in the market. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that I know of who kind of jump on that resale value and they try to profit off of it, but they won't necessarily wear the product. They won't necessarily buy it because they think it's fashionable or because of the unique features. They'll just think, right, that's an opportunity. And they even sign up to these mailing lists when they know there's about to be a, a release. And, you know, there's a whole business behind I it. I think you're talking about Yeezys now and Off-White. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This yeah. is um, one of the people who started the, the trend were Supreme. They're known for that. They're the first brand. Not the first, but they're one of the early starters of the hype. The first brand you they release a brick branded by Supreme, and then if you you're able to buy it, okay. If not, will people will resell the uh, the brick for five or eight or ten, sometimes ten times the value of it, the actual uh, retail value, and. This is the fear of missing out. This is the kind of fight you were talking about. This is, and, I, and I'm going to be honest, I teach that. This is what I do, but I, I, sometimes I slip and I'm okay with it. I, I, I am one of the people that, who every now and then, I'm not, uh, I'm not claiming that this is my daily uh, uh, mistake, but every now and then, I, I know that this is a hype and I'm 100% sure this is a, I like, I like the product. I like that kind of shoes. I'll buy it. I like it. It's nice. I'd wear it. Um, and this is the beauty of studying that market. This is the beauty of actually being in the luxury brand business. Um, and you have to learn to give out the chapeau where you take off the hat. Yeah, yeah. Learn to um, see competitors and go like, well played. It was, uh, it was a good move. And I actually love this because now that even in Egypt working with one of the, because the agent of, by the way, Rolex and all these, they're called Philippetier Palace. It's uh, the agent of the brands in Egypt, and they have, uh, they're actually launching the first luxury boutique mall in uh, Cairo called, uh, they're owning the mall now, not just the, not the shops, the entire mall. And it's called Icon, and they're, they're releasing it uh, end of this year. Um, and the beauty of this is when you're working with plenty of luxury brands, and let's say for, uh, as um, a car, car dealership, and you have, you're already consulting and branding for the most exclusive car dealership in Egypt. And then a year or two after your work is seen and people like your work and they ask who, who did this and they go like lunch black and they were talking with us. And then their competitor want to design with us now. They want to brand with us. 
and they're better competitors. And then uh, sometimes if it, there's no conflict of interest and everything is okay, we sign with them because we already turned over and they're, they're, they're working on their brand. And then when we're good and we're launching both brands and we see two clear competitors, both clearly designed, we've done this beast and we've done this monster and we look at them and it's great. The, the competition is beautiful. And this is why you need to learn to sometimes give chapeau. So we have two mega car dealerships and you, and you go like, you know, these guys, just, they landed a new Bentley Bentayga with this custom edition package. And they actually, it was sold out after a week. And they were like, and another friend tell me, you know, the other people, they had this uh, one, one in 70 Lamborghini uh, Aventador or whatever. Uh, interesting. And it was sold out very, it's, and you, you're, you're in the middle of all of this and you're enjoying the competition because when there's competition, there's um, a thought of need or a feeling of need. When, when Uber launched, and we have another brand competitors to Uber called Karim in Egypt. When they launched, the idea was, uh, people would tell me, you need to download that. Why would I? I can just leave my, my, my uh, home right now, go up to the street, raise my hand, get a cab and leave. What's the whole idea? It's easy. But when there, there was a, compet a competitor, which was Karim in our case, now people go like, oh, which one do you use? Uber or Karim? And now you're like, Oh, so now it's getting more normal. Now there's, I have to pick between this or that or that. So a cab or Uber or Karim. And with time, it's now it's a norm. Now it's something that you accept and, you and everyone acknowledges. And this is my point when there's competition and people should always enjoy that. People should really look up to that. If I get a competitor, now I can really show off my tone of voice. Now I can really prove I'm different. This is why a lot of people come, uh, come up to us and they ask us about their pricing. And then they tell us, oh, but we spoke to the, the other people who can do the same for like half the budget. And we tell them uh, we can do it not only for half the budget, we can introduce to you third people that can do it for a tenth of the budget. It's not about budgeting. It's about what you get with the budget, how you use that budget. And most importantly, how does it reflect to your own business? My, give me give, give me a tenth of the budget and I'll do a nice icon for you and I'll make you leave. And I hope this makes you feel better if that's how it is. Only the true believers of their own method or their own businesses or their own products are the ones who are willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to sit uh, and, and, and learn, learn how to really grow their business. And of course, the most, uh, the hardest of them all are established businesses. These are the most uh, we don't call them, oh, we, we take all the clients with the same quality, same risk and same uh, uh, focus on work. But when you're designing one of our clients at 120 years old family business, and this is the first time they're evolving their entire look, the amount of pressure and responsibility and the amount of research and presentation you need to go is unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I think also that point of differentiation that you mentioned, I think that's, that's the key point. That's always what you want to have in the back of your mind. Purple cow. Purple cow. So man, the last question I have for you on luxury, luxury products like Rolex and Bentley don't need advertising or marketing. The quality speaks for itself. They have word, word of mouth as a strong heritage behind them. That question or rather statement came in from a follower on Instagram when I put it on our story and I want to know your thoughts. I think I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'll let you answer anyway in case other people out there are thinking the same thing. Uh, persistence and actually 
um, recurrence of positioning leads to that um, to that statement or that feeling. You say um, Bentley don't need to advertise because they're already known for their quality, but they do. If they do social media marketing or they position or they keep on posting the importance of the quality of production, the quality of design, because as we just uh, agreed on this in the stock Bentley uh, positioning themselves, they they have been positioning their brand, claiming the the attention to details, the luxury the, the, uh, of their product, the finishes, the quality of their stitching, the type of engines they use, the, the, the specialists behind their brand. And you don't know all of this, except if you went all the extra mile to see their, their production line or see an interview with them or check their page on Instagram. And these are all sorts of indirect marketing, marketing strategies. Um, if we're talking aggressive or clear uh, above the line marketing, like a TV, a TV commercial, um, um, highlighting the purple cow, them stating that they don't do advertisement is the advertisement. This is their way of saying we are a confident brand. So um, um, we were talking uh, talking the other day about uh, I think LV um, burning or throwing yeah, their excess yeah. stock. This is the indirect marketing. This is the purple cow effect where you you're gonna go talk to people. And your word of mouth is going to be, do you know that they don't do this or do you know they don't do that? And I think that people who started the, in the automobile, like the car industry in general, uh, were Lamborghini when they said uh, we don't. Uh, and I, I think it was in newspaper, newspapers. If, if I'm, I'm not quite sure, but, but I think that's the case. Um, uh, they said we don't put, put ads on the newspaper because the people who write the Lamborghinis are the people who the news, newspapers uh, talk about. And that this this statement that you keep on telling the people, even though even if it's a um, a myth, and people keep on saying this, and they never actually said that, me telling you this story is their way of advertising advertisement. Um, but you're gonna always have to be there. And uh, 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 let's flip the scenario where Bentley stops uh, advertisement, uh, but you know their quality. Uh, but they don't stress on their positioning, they don't st stress on their branding, they don't stress over the quality, they don't stress over that. They'll fade. And I know plenty of uh, cases of brands that faded. Or they've been, they got stuck in a certain position in their, their hierarchical system in the positioning of the niche market, and they, they, were, they went flat. They just went flat. They stayed at this segment, and they're, they're no more in the mega players ga game. They're just stuck there. Um, uh, I advertise that people invest in their core brand positioning and use whatever strategy that suits them to, to show that, even if it is we don't advertise. And actually, this is one of the things we do or, or claim at, uh, at our business. We, we, I think we're crossing three years that we've never knocked a door or tried to approach clients. Um, and that we're known for that, we're the, we're the people you have to uh, know us, you have to know our work to come talk to us. Uh, we don't try to convince you to come talk to us. We don't tell you, we never post. If you want to help your business, come talk to us. We, we, we barely to never have ever done that. Um, so uh, that's about it. Yeah, I thought you were going to say something along those lines. And I think that makes complete sense. And if any brand out there thinks they're too big to fail, I think, you know, that's a sign of failure. Um, and you talked about the hierarchy of messaging and sometimes you need to reshuffle those. 
I think Fila was the best example we discussed on our call. And I think they were someone who went from zero to there and then back to zero and then back again. I think, you know, that's also yeah. a success story. And they, they, their market entry after a very long period of um, being stuck at a certain uh, position or a certain uh, segment was how they were able to create a hype right above the hype and really position their, uh, their product, which was the, which was the white, uh, I think, the uh, white. And I think now they're redoing a new hype with the rose gold and plenty of colors, uh, basic fila. And uh, this is a proof of um, how uh, strategic businesses, businesses that think of strategy, uh, are able to uh, be open to trials, to, re to always create a hype. It's okay. It's okay to try to create a hype and not be able to have it, but it's it's actually not okay not to try to do the hype. It's not mm. okay to try to not keep on trying to do that. Um, and if they all fall, fall under the umbrella of, of marketing, uh, you're gonna have to do what you do to try to position your brand. Uh, one of the things we always uh, tell our clients: always make sure that your expectation ladders are met. If you came up to me in launch back and you're expecting uh, a certain service, a certain um, passion towards your brand and you find you don't find that then you're probably um, gonna be uh, uh, frustrated although this is even if it's not something that we claim that we do but you, throughout the, the quality of our work you're expecting certain things you're, it's gonna have to be met uh, yeah. and that's the, the indirect marketing or advertising I've been talking about yeah it makes sense I think yeah that's that's a good uh, square putting it like the expectation ladder and ensuring that you're committed to that right yeah yeah so man i mean we talked about some really good stuff today i'm really glad i had this opportunity and i know that uh that restaurant uh was it launch black i think that's something which we have to explore in the future um and the car wash as well i don't know what it is i love car washes uh there's just something about a good car wash that makes me happy i don't know why <laughs> because so, it's yeah. an instant way for you to feel uh, like your car or your environment, which is your car that ha took a shower. It's yeah. Just, you get a bit. I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it depressed, but you you get a, a bit uh, demotivated when you're driving a car with a lot of dust and uh, the car. When you when you go to this car wash and in less than an hour you, you ride a car smelling fresh, everything's shiny. There's a feeling of refreshment that you get uh, when you're there. Uh, it's one of the things. Yeah, I, I always love to give the examples. Uh, off it's a luxury car wash yeah. <laughs> why not why not so man thanks a lot for coming on uh honestly we have to organize a part two or organize some sort of a panel to get you on with some other people in this space and to have an even crazy discussion so yeah i know it's getting late over in egypt and yeah have a good night thank you so much have a great night